Welcome to Queer Storytime, the podcast. This is a brave space for sharing queer and trans stories of radical affirmation, acceptance, empowerment, and healing. I'm your host, Stevie Ingram. I so look forward to you joining us. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe to this podcast. Alrighty, y'all. Queer in three, two, one. Let's go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number two of Queer Storytime, the podcast. As always, I hope that life is treating you well. Today is our first episode featuring an LGBTQIA plus ally, Anuradha Gupta. And you are in for a real treat today because Anuradha is one of the fiercest LGBTQIA plus advocates that I know of. So if you need a prime example of what an active ally looks like, look no further than my friend Anuradha Gupta. Before introducing today's guest, I just want to do a brief little centering breath or guided meditation to bring everyone listening to this episode into a place of presence and ease. So if it's safe for you to do so, I invite you to gently close your eyes, or if you would rather your eyes be open, you can have a downward cast gaze. And as you're ready, bringing your awareness to the breath. Noticing where you feel the breath in the body as you inhale and as you exhale. Just allow any tension that has gathered in the body to gently relax. Allow any to-do lists or concerns about today or the future to leave briefly from the mind, returning awareness to breath. Seeing how much you can let go and release. Rather than being involved in all the goings-on of our lives, seeing if you can bring your attention and awareness here into the present. Breathing deeply in through the nose or the mouth. And exhaling deeply through the nose or the mouth. One more breath together. Fully inhaling. and deeply exhaling. As you're ready, you can gently begin opening your eyes and bringing your awareness back into this space and your surroundings. So as I mentioned a moment ago, today's guest is Anuradha Gupta. And she is a peaceful meditator, and as I said, a fierce LGBTQIA plus ally. And yes, the two can coexist. She's a writer and also an Ayurvedic practitioner who has a corporate background and is a devoted advocate for the LGBTQIA plus community by volunteering for nonprofits such as Free Mom Hugs, and has also been a local board member at their PFLAG chapter. So hello, my friend. I'm so glad to have you here on Queer Storytime. So why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself further and share with us a little bit more about how you have become such a fierce advocate for LGBTQIA rights. 
Stevie, it's great to be back with you. We did the story time a few years back. You really walk the talk. You are the best advocate that I know, and you inspire us all oh. in terms of your representation and everything that you stand for. For me, my kid came out to me when she was 10 and she's 23 now. And that made me realize that, you know, things are just not fair. They're not equal and that we have a long way to go. We need to fight. And my kids joke that I started doing the coming out for her because I realized that it's hard. And I started finding out slowly about ways to advocate, you know, groups that I could talk to parents with. Uh, like free mom hugs and then I started finding out about laws and then nonprofits and even just simple things like wearing earrings or walking during pride just being out I realized that they make a lot of difference a kid will come out to you or somebody will you know say can you officiate my wedding and then you realize I mean those are the biggest things the biggest joys in life so just my kid coming out with her trepidation that made me realize that there's so much I can do. Yes. And not to put you on the spot here, but I know that you were talking about that you had a friend in India growing up who I think was a gay man. And probably at that time, I know that there was a law called Section 377. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. So that law blocked homosexuality or made homosexuality illegal in India for many years. When was that law implemented? So this law was implemented in 1839 by the British and actually in what we call the Commonwealth countries, all the countries that the British colonized, you know, homosexuality is either a criminal offense, it can be even a death penalty attached to it. So it was a very, very tough situation in India. And that, historically, it wasn't like that because in the Vedic era, we had the third gender. Everything was really open. But with this, society regressed. And so, yeah, when my friend came out to us, we supported him, but he couldn't really come out to you know half of his family. Later, he married his partner and he's happy. That's so sad. Yeah. So growing up, you had this friend that really was kind of legally forced to be closeted in India at the time. So when your daughter came out, when she was 10 years old, even though you supported your friend back then, you weren't really gung-ho, like fierce LGBT advocate at the time because you hadn't necessarily understood all of the LGBT struggle, so to speak. Can you talk a little bit about that like transformation for you? Sure. You know, when my friend came out to us, it was just in the passing. We were all sitting down at a party and kind of, you know, chatting. And then he came out to us and it never occurred to me that, you know, because it wasn't even so open. I didn't even think that this was a criminal offense. And it was only when I moved to the U.S. and when my kid came out, that's when I realized that I actually didn't know too many LGBTQIA plus people growing up. And that's because it was a criminal offense. It was only then that I connected the dots. He never told us that. He just said, you know, I told my mom, but I can't tell my dad. And then we just knew he moved to Indonesia and then he moved to Canada. He got married and it just never sunk in. We took it for granted. We you know, said, okay, introduce us to your boyfriend. We would joke about his boyfriend and, you know, tease him. But that was it. So even when my daughter, at the age of 10, she said, you know, I'm going to fight for our rights. And I said, you have all the rights. I had no clue. And that's what happens to so many of us. We just have no idea, you know, till we have a friend or, you know, a family member who comes out to us. We have no idea Till we read about things. I mean, I just remember reading in the passing about water fountains and I had no idea what it meant, you know, mm. about trans folks. And then now I'm so aware. Now I'm fighting for trans kids. Now I'm fighting for, you know, gender affirming care. But 13 years back, I knew nothing. And I just wish more people were aware about how LGBTQIA plus rights are, you know, how women's rights were. If we were to regress and walk back to the dark ages, I think in some ways we are getting there right now. 
Yes, with these over 600 plus anti-LGBT bills with no stopping in sight, unfortunately. So much Um, homophobia and there's so many nations out there, but even at home. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what I've said several times on this podcast in the two episodes, (laughs) that this is happening on a global scale. It's not just here in the United States. It's happening on a global scale. Before we get further into what's currently happening in the world, I would love for you you know, if you feel comfortable doing so, sharing about Hindu and Vedic history in regards to that culture's views on gender and sexuality thousands of years ago, prior to British colonization of India. In ancient times, in Vedic times, we honored what is called the Tritya Prakriti or the third gender. And it was very common to have lesbian relationships and gay relationships and If we look at our temples in Khajurao in different places, they are very commonly depicted. So whether it was gender identity or sexual orientation, all of it was honored. And it was only with the invasions that things got diluted and certain amount of homophobia crept in. And of course, with the law that the British passed. And then that's how society regressed. But ancient times were very supportive. My guru Sri Sri Ravi Shankar says that consciousness itself is half Shiva, half Shakti, which is the depiction of consciousness, is non-binary with the pronouns he, she, they, them. And so that is really honored in Vedic times. Yeah, that's amazing. It gives me chills down my spine that all the indigenous cultures around the globe, not just in India, all of them inherently recognized this expansive nature of gender and sexuality way before we even had the modern terms that we have now, like gay, lesbian, bisexual, you know, those weren't necessarily terms in those days. LGBT people basically have existed since time immemorial in all cultures, regardless of what the British have tried to do to suppress knowledge and awareness of our lived experiences. So it gives me chills to think about that this was known, this was embodied, this was indigenous knowledge for thousands of years before Britain decided to colonize the entire world. So yeah, I'm really grateful for you outlining a little bit of that Vedic history. There's a lot to explore in this area for anybody interested in Hinduism. This is, as we say, with yoga and dharmic practice in general, it is a lifelong practice of discovery. (laughs) So, Anu, why don't you talk about, because I know that you've written articles on this, and one of my goals for Queer Storytime, especially because of the trauma that our community faces growing up and also what we're facing legislatively here in the United States, Can you talk about, because I know you're also a yoga teacher, you're an Ayurvedic practitioner. Can you talk about a yogic and Ayurvedic view of, you know, how LGBTQ plus people can use these ancient tools to help themselves heal? Because I talked a little bit about it in my initial episode yoga has been just tremendously healing for me personally growing up in the Christian tradition. And I think it is a powerhouse of healing. It's a powerhouse practice for human liberation. And so wondering if you can talk a little bit about that for those that may not necessarily be familiar with yoga, how it can be beneficial for those of us in the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah. So I was just talking to some students yesterday about the four goals of yoga, Ayurveda, Vedic practices, So one is dharm, which is to fulfill your duty. And then there's earth, which is to have a material existence, karma, which is to enjoy life, and then moksha, which is freedom. And all our practices are supposed to be freeing. We are very tied down to our identity, to who we are, but that journey of discovery actually sets us free. Who are we? What is human existence about and the tools that yoga provides for all of it, whether it's the practice of postures or just withdrawing the senses, inquiry and meditation. I think that's really so useful. And these are evidence-based techniques to release trauma, to make people accept themselves better, to not be tossed around 
by other people's opinions or rocked by circumstances and you know Harvard studies have shown that eight weeks of meditation can change the gray matter of the brain making you more centered yeah which is what we need in current times I mean everybody faces rejection sometimes in their life but to have consistently this political message out there right which a lot of youth face like questioning their existence they just want to tune it out I mean the kids I talk to in GSA clubs they want to tune it out it's likely that at home people may not be accepting and uh, so many you know 30 percent of LGBTQ kids are rendered homeless and how do they stay strong I mean if they have some kind of practice whether it is it be art or be yoga it's all about connecting with the self as far as Ayurveda goes it's a similar it's a form of holistic medicine and we believe strongly that this is who you are just that sentence settles a person down this is who you are now how can you fulfill your potential Absolutely. and you know yeah right and in fulfilling your potential there's of course you know how do you manage the mind how do you manage the body and do a preventive regimen how do you manage imbalances and how do you deal with your community and your society and all those subtle overt covert messages and stay strong and centered so even the definition of health in yoga and ayurveda is swasthya to be centered in the self and that's what those techniques which stevie teaches you know stevie is also a yoga therapist and i don't know what stevie doesn't do stevie does ayurveda yoga naturopathy you know <laughs> advocate so yeah those are the techniques that you teach that we need yeah as i was saying earlier yoga has been a tremendous journey for myself and i know for many lgbtqia plus individuals that we have an inherent knowing and awareness of who we are as human beings from a very young age and the vedic tradition so beautifully emphasizes that through what you mentioned earlier the lgbt people are referred to as tritya prakriti that word prakriti means nature being queer or trans is our fundamental nature and one of the amazing things about yoga is that it does allow us that opportunity to turn inward and you know let go of all the narratives that we hear outside of us in the media maybe from family members that practice of turning inward and focusing your attention on you know what we call the self or focusing your awareness on prakriti your very nature itself that is profound when you can stay like steadfast and grounded in that awareness amongst all of the chaos outside of us that is powerful to be able to be so solidified in yourself through learning and practicing these tools of yoga that the stuff on the outside kind of bounces off of us and you know some days more than others it may affect us i'm not saying that i'm this perfectly enlightened being because this yoga is a lifelong practice but it has profound tools for a community of people that are dealing with such high levels of trauma in their lives because of all of the narratives all of the violence that's out there against us so i can't recommend it more i know anu can't recommend it more and maybe someday we'll have to have a queer story time yoga class. <laughs> that would be brilliant. That would be so good. Absolutely. So now that we've talked a little bit about yoga and you all have a reference point for how the indigenous practices of India have framed gender and sexuality through the lens of the Vedic tradition, through Hinduism, through yoga, I want to allow Anu the space to talk about specifically what caring for those in the gender and sexually expansive community looks like from an Ayurvedic perspective. I know Anuradha has been on the Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Board at the National Ayurvedic Medicine Association, which we call NAMA. And she has also written several articles on this topic about what are best practices for Ayurveda in regards to caring for the GSE community. Thank you. You know, Stevie, I started thinking about this when I was still 
studying and I, I'm still studying. But when I was studying and I noticed that in India, there was one practice which was attempting the horrifying conversion therapy mm. under the guise of Ayurveda. And I know it's been done under the guise of medicine and under the guise of therapy. But when I heard about that, I read about it, I was outraged. And I said, okay, this is going to be my research dissertation for the Ayurvedic doctor program, which I'm doing. And I started investigating what we can do to make our practices more inclusive and basically LGBTQ friendly. And I realized that starting with just a DEI training for our staff, starting with our forms and then training our people. And I discussed this with you because I know you do this training, but just training our people on how on cultural competence. We, we talked about it. We did an article together for Kerala Ayurveda. Mm -hmm. If we can have everybody on the same page when they have a client who may be uh, LGBTQIA+, how do you alter your language? How are you accepting if they you know, share their pronouns? Do you share yours? If you share your pronouns, it's more likely that they will and they'll be forthcoming. Very often, people don't come out to their practitioners. This huge bit of history about them that is lost, they're a huge bit of self which is lost. If we know about their history, it really helps us manage from physical to physiological to psychological to social. It helps us manage the entire gamut of their healthcare. And how can we as practices be inclusive? It, it could be simple, just declaring ourselves to be inclusive because people, like you said in one article where I had interviewed you, that people are often nervous. But if you declare yourself to be inclusive, what do you do to be true to that? So, you know, in NAMA, the National Ayurvedic Board, we've been talking about how colleges should train their staff and their students and offer this kind of training, a DEI training and how to be inclusive. And then after that, once we have a client who is LGBTQIA+, do we know enough, let's say, if they are going through hormone replacement therapy? Do we know enough about that? Do we know enough about how to manage their care? What to give, what not to give, when to intervene, when not to intervene. So I tried to interview a lot of Vedyas in India when I had gone to India. And then most of them said that they did not have people who were from the community. So they didn't really know. And if they did have any clients there, of course, we call them patients because it's a licensed mainstream medical practice. Then they just come for regular issues. Of course, keeping in mind that in 2018, homosexuality was decriminalized. So before that, people didn't come out to them. The interesting thing was that one of the first and probably the first out transgender doctor in India is an Ayurvedic doctor in wow. Kerala. And I got to interview her, Dr. Priya, and she was awesome. And she told me that very often people take an appointment for, you know, say digestive issues, but then they actually come to her because they want to find out about gender affirming care or they want to just come out to her and they have questions about so many things that they feel comfortable discussing with her. So in terms of establishing best practices, I'm working on that research. I will have a paper somewhere down the line. I have articles and ideas and so much to share. And I just hope that, you know, we can have these guidelines for practices that this is what you need to do to be inclusive. And I hope everybody can adhere to them. Also, when to refer people out. Absolutely. When this is not part of your scope of practice, when, you know, maybe there's an emergency with a kid, we know that suicide rate is very high. Like every 45 seconds, an LGBTQIA plus kid attempts suicide. You need to refer them out. You need to involve the Trevor Project, when to provide them resources. So knowing all of that, what we can do and what we can't do with the utmost care, doing no harm, trying our best. And also an ethics committee for the Vedic astrology community. We don't want anybody to slip through the cracks. Vedic astrologer who's trying to tell them, oh, this is just in your charts that there's some confusion. And that has happened. I've discussed that with Stevie. So we just need to be a little mindful that there are malpractices we cannot tolerate. Absolutely. It's hard for me to express words right now because it's such an overwhelming need globally. 
we are very much, you know, as was outlined in the new updated standards of care by the World Professional Association of Transgender Health, WPATH, they mentioned in standards of care version eight, which just came out in September of 2022, that there are no required trainings on gender and sexuality globally within healthcare training programs. Now, that's not to say that some programs don't provide a little bit of education, but you know that's in the conventional medicine world. However, that is far and few between in the holistic, integrative, complementary medicine world around the globe. There are no standards of care for the treatment of those that are gender and sexually expansive. So we are boots on the ground. And as I say this, I don't want people to confuse the fact that there's no scientific research to support gender affirming care. There absolutely is. I'm strictly saying within the world of integrative health and medicine, that this is just something that has been avoided because of how taboo discussing gender and sexuality was previously in healthcare. My heart kind of sinks to my stomach when I express that. And that's why both Anuradha and I are so passionate about changing this because we are literally creating knowledge that has never existed before. It astounds me when I think of how big of an issue this is. We need to be partnering together in the Ayurvedic community, in the world of naturopathic medicine and chiropractic, in acupuncture, all of the traditional and integrative complementary forms of medicine, all of the indigenous forms of medicine. We all need to work together to develop this new knowledge area. So I'm so grateful to Anuradha for doing this work and being in active allyship with our community so that we can actually create these standards and make meaningful change within the world of integrative medicine. It is a huge hurdle for us to overcome. And I was talking with Matt Ashcroft, who is a conversion therapy survivor in episode one. And one of the big conclusions that he and I came to is that we need research out in the world that is done for us by us. And we can also include our allies in that. <laughs> um, you don't necessarily have to be queer or trans, but it just points to that we are in this new arena of creating knowledge and wisdom for caring for gender and sexually expansive communities in a way that has never, ever, ever, ever been done historically. So this is a really freaking exciting time <laughs> to be in. It's an overwhelming time to be in considering everything that we're fighting. But I'm so grateful to Anuradha for really, truly being an active ally for us. And, you know, I think another thing that's so important about yoga is that yoga is a practice for us. And you can share your thoughts on this too, Anuradha. Yoga practice is a, is a practice for us, not only to liberate ourselves, but once we gain some semblance of knowledge, and like I said, we're solidified and rooted in our own identity and what we call the true self, the action, the karma, as it's called in the yoga world, the action of going out into the world and helping free others, essentially, from their suffering and to help create the conditions of change in the world so that we can reduce the suffering of other communities, I think really is one of the huge calls of yoga to be of service, which is called seva, S-E-V-A in yoga. What are your thoughts on that, Anu? I love that. You know, there are our own practices, of the sadhana, the yoga that we do, and then there's the company of the truth, which is satsang, to be with like-minded people, trying to bring about change or just even asking, what is the nature of the self? Who am I? How can I be free? And then seva is you. And that's really important. Each one of us picks something that resonates with us. For me, this is the cause. This is where I want to bring change. How can I make things better? Leave the planet a better place. And I think when you bring that element into your life, 
it shifts the focus from your own suffering to the change you can make in other people's life. It gives you direction. It gives you strength. It gives you commitment. So you're not just wondering what about me. And that's really a very important part of the Vedic journey. And in many cultures, service is such an important part. And it helps, like volunteering helps. It betters people's health and, you know, their blood pressure. And generally, they don't feel as lonely, they connect with others and gives them that sense of purpose. And I really like that. I love what you said about research too, that we have a lot of research, but then we have a lot of this misinformation. So we have research that gender-forming care is life-saving. And every medical association, yes, they don't train their people. You know, very often people don't come out to them, but they all back gender-affirming care. We just have these people like there's a group Gaze Against Groomers and, mm. you know, we have Moms for Liberty and spreading all this vicious misinformation. How can we stand steadfast and serve and live the truth in that kind of atmosphere? I think just having that seva, that mindset really lifts us up. So, yeah, uh, yeah. I think both the things that you said are so relevant. We need that research out there. We need more people advocating for us. And even just a few of us serving selflessly with strength, we'll get there. Absolutely. And I think that is part of the point that I was trying to make in what I was saying is that I think that's one of the profound aspects of yoga is that we come inward within ourselves and through these practices begin to transform our own inner life. And then with that transformation comes forth the desire to go help others because you look at these organizations like Gays Against Groomers, Moms for Liberty, and these people are deeply suffering. They're only perpetuating suffering and trauma. And especially the group Gays for Groomers, I look at how that group specifically is using the trauma that was projected onto them when they were younger and vulnerable in their lives. And they are re-projecting that, those same exact narratives now onto the trans community. It sits very heavy just expressing that. Yeah. So I say that because it's so important that we have these transformational practices so that we don't become angry and bitter, which leads to divisiveness, disinformation, and eventually violence and genocide, if we don't nip this in the butt, so to speak. So having these practices that allow us to turn inward and to have that remembrance, I love the Sanskrit word or the Pali word sati, which one of the translations is remembrance, having that remembrance of our true nature, and being able to return home to that on a consistent basis to remind ourselves of who we are and not get caught up in all of the trauma, all the divisiveness, all the misinformation, and be strongly rooted in ourselves so that we can move forward and actually help transform the world outside of ourselves. As we say in the yoga world, off the mat and into the world, we have to take our yoga practice off the mat and into the world. That's the entire point. I love that. That was beautiful. Yes, absolutely. The stronger we get, the better we can handle the world. So coming together of yoga and Ayurveda and yogic therapy and all these practices in strengthening us so we can be ourselves, everybody can be themselves and we can just help people on that journey. I love that. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Can you talk a little bit about how can Ayurveda specifically, how can like an LGBT person seeking holistic Ayurvedic care, how can they benefit from that care in a way that's different than what conventional medicine offers? So, you know, Ayurveda looks at the whole person. So it's not like you've come to me with your pinky finger that's hurting or your big toe is hurting. And then maybe that's RA and that's the route we go down or your knee is hurting or you have, you know, COVID or you have some kind of autoimmune condition. It's everything. What is going on in your body, mind, spirit, complex. So any intake with anybody is an Ayurvedic professional yourself, you know, it's completely holistic. So then if an LGBTQ person is there in front of you, you go through their entire history, 
their entire journey and you see them for who they are, accept them for who they are and you treat them for any condition, physical, physiological, psychological and their relationships with themselves and with their community and with nature. And that's why it is so healing because Ayurveda is about prevention and disease management and meeting one's potential. Mm -hmm. So everybody meeting their potential, making the world a better place, starting with themselves. And that's why if anybody comes and comes out to you, and this is something I discussed a lot in India when I was with Vedyas and here now I'm for my research, I'm talking to them. They just go through the same intake. I mean, when my kid went to Dr. J's Rogi, I had some trepidation and for him it was the most normal natural thing like and she was little and she said dr j and she told him about herself and okay and then uh, he said what about your bubble movement and what about your i mean it's as natural as that i know we discuss bubble movement a lot <laughs> and gut and you know and what about your you know how much water do you drink and then what about your knee does your knee hurt and you know she had just injured a knee so it's as normal natural as anything and that is what is so healing so then beyond that any health concern that anybody so-called straight or queer might have is just the same and i talk to a lot of ayurvedic practitioners about how they would help somebody who's let's say going through a trans journey of hormones and maybe surgeries they said we would just treat them in a supportive manner in an integrative way let's say if they're taking hormones and then they find that their digestion is impacted we address their digestion but we want to work with them with medical team if they undergo a surgery and then they need faster healing that's what we address so i love that you know it's like a completely integrative approach just meet you where you are a hundred percent i think that's one of the biggest arguments against like integrative medicine is that those that are in these holistic medicine practices ayurveda naturopathic medicine acupuncture chinese medicine whatever it may be there's the narrative that we are against conventional medicine and that's just simply not the case there's so many areas of overlap and so many areas of integration where you know the example that you were using a trans person being on hormone replacement therapy hrt those are synthetic pharmaceutical drugs that are needed in those cases and so how can we partner with conventional medicine in that circumstance, not only for the trans person to experience those changes in secondary sex characteristics that's facilitated by hormone replacement, but how can we help them and have, you know, an easeful transition, shall we say, in regards to, you know, the transition that happens on hormone replacement therapy? How can we act integratively and in a holistic manner to maximize that person's wellness and vitality yes totally and then i love how you put it that how can we ease their journey that is the objective of any practitioner and we don't know enough you talked about research we need to do more research about what ayurvedic formulations can help how they can help in the journey hopefully that's something that we will lay down as further research that is required in establishing those practices, the best practices that are most helpful. Absolutely. But it doesn't take away from, there's a tremendous ability for Ayurveda to heal. And if people are wanting just like a deeper level of care, don't mistake, there are some tremendous conventional doctors that do offer more holistic care, but, you know, by and large, people kind of get sick of the seven to 10 minute appointments that often happens in conventional primary care. So, you know, if you are seeking additional tools and additional care that's holistically centered, and that is gender and sexually affirming, Ayurveda is an amazing option because of, you know, Ayurveda, I think is the old school naturopathic medicine. Naturopathic medicine is kind of a more modern form of Ayurveda, but there's so much, so much overlap in yeah. what we do with the focus on returning to nature. And that's a spiritual call as well, returning to our prakriti, our nature. 
totally is it's a spiritual call and then it never stigmatizes the mind the mind has always addressed the impact of an ailment on the mind the impact of society on your mind the impact of your history on your mind so mental health has been really stigmatized and that is why a lot of people don't seek help for trauma for depression and ayurveda naturally goes down that journey it's something that we address in all the channels the 16 channels the mind is one of them so we do talk about that and i think unfortunately for a lot of lgbtqia plus people whether it's related to healthcare or housing or education or you know just their lived experiences they do experience more than a so called straight person they do experience some kind of trauma or negative experiences whether in school in school 8 out of 10 lgbtqia plus kids are either bullied or they experience some kind of abuse and from peers from teachers from admin and so it's really healing to have a space where you know like you said it's not the 7 or 10 minutes to talk where they can talk about what they're going through and experience healing and of course there's also the body that we address it's not like it's just mind and spirit we have very powerful tools for the body where we do acknowledge that the gut is the enteric the second brain the enteric nervous system we acknowledge all of that so i think ayurveda can do a lot ayurveda can do a tremendous amount we didn't mention this but ayurveda is often referred to as the sister science of yoga so they work synergistically they come from the same tradition the vedic tradition of india there's just a oh my gosh there is eons of wisdom and knowledge in this tradition that can just make us more centered more whole more healed more active and vital human beings in a world especially that seeks to eradicate many queer and trans people right now so long story short for everybody listening is our self care is our empowerment and yoga and ayurveda both offer queer and trans people tremendous tools to walk and live that journey So as we are transitioning to the end of this episode, I love to ask all of my guests, which I was doing in the initial version of Queer Story Time, I have these super soul questions that I enjoy asking, and some of them are a little bit redundant because of the conversation that we just had, <laughs> but you know, we can reemphasize whatever is important and whatever is, you know, coming from your heart. So the first super soul question is at this moment in time given all of your life experiences what do you feel that your life purpose is here and moving forward That's a big one <laughs> It's a journey to discover myself and to leave the world a better place than I found it Absolutely Number 2 is knowing what you know now And normally I direct this question to queer and trans people but I'll direct it to you as a fierce ally is knowing what you know now what would you have told yourself earlier on this journey of being an LGBT ally is there anything that you would say now to kind of shift your perspective of where you were at then Yeah I would have been way more sensitive I would have been way more thoughtful. I think I missed so many opportunities to be of service to stand up just because people were in the closet or people were scared. I just missed the opportunity to help. I think I may have been part of microaggressions. And mm. you know, back in India, I just wonder the kind of jokes we never really were that thoughtful. growing up and this was across the board now that i think of it i just wish i could have done more back then and i just wish it didn't take just my kid coming out that made things different for me i wish i had read more known more so in that sense i feel like what if it wasn't about my kid everybody is my kid 
And I would have done this for anybody. And that's all I have to say. But I've done it. <laughs> so now <laughs> it's not it. about my kid. I, I just wasn't aware. I wish I was aware. <laughs> yeah. And that's such a prime example of how we can use our practice for good. Once we know better, we do better, essentially. <laughs> use our privilege compared to my kids. I have privilege. And that feels horrible. Compared to so many people, I have privilege. I mean, compared to so many, I don't. But, you know, that's just so telling. Right. Yeah. Using our privilege for good. Even if you as a brown Indian woman, compared to other groups of people, have less privilege, there is, I think, some aspect in all of our lives where we have a little bit more privilege than another group. And how can we use that? I think that's part of Seva. How can we use that for good in the world? Coming back to when we know better, we can do better. And I think so much of that happens through this journey of transformation that all of us go on, whether you're yoga practitioners or practicing some other tradition, we all have that ability to transform and grow and choose actions. I know in the Buddhist tradition, which I love, choose skillful actions that actually lead to good in the world versus unskillful actions that cause harm in this world or perpetuate harm, which we're (laughs) seeing very clearly in the world right now. Yep. Yeah. So the third question for you as an ally, what do you wish others understood about the gender and sexually expansive community? I have this friend. She's on the board of the flag with me, our local chapter. And she's married to her partner, has a kid. And she said, life is just like anybody else's life. We squabble, we do groceries. And then on Sundays, we want to sleep in and we struggle like anybody else. And I just feel like that's one thing I want everybody to know, that we are all fundamentally just the same. We have the same struggles. We have the same issues. And I just want people to know that, you know, if you had no trepidation in being yourself or expressing yourself, how can you feel okay in yourself, in your being, in your truth, letting anybody have any trepidation in being themselves fully, completely, happily. Absolutely. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) So here's the question, and I might frame this a little bit differently, knowing some of the rhetoric that has come out. So my question is, what would you say to all the lawmakers globally that are creating laws against us. So you can answer that question. That's part A, but part B specifically, because this only happened recently, is the prime minister of the United Kingdom, who is an Indian man, saying that a man is a man and a woman is a woman and like these severely transphobic comments. What would you say to him or other lawmakers around the globe? that that are perpetuating this rhetoric? You know, they're just perpetuating hate. I would tell them that this could very well be you. We want to address systemic oppression and racism. We don't want to say this could be you or this could be your family, but let's begin there. I mean, I don't know how to get through to so much hatred because I do know that they're doing this for political gains, using people and kids and the community as pawns in their calculation of, okay, I'm a conservative. This is how I get votes. This is how I, you know, get my party's support. This is how I get the lobbyists to give me money. So it's pure evil. I mean, how can you walk this earth? How can you look at yourself in the mirror when you are impacting the lives of others? There are kids that attempt suicide when a law is passed. And we've seen the incidents increase when I volunteered with the Trevor Project. How can you do something like that? You know, how can you let your policies impact the vulnerable in our midst? And as for the prime minister of UK, as a conservative, everybody celebrated when he became the prime minister. But my heart sank to my toes because I know he's a homophobe through and through. He is terrible. And I really hope he loses the elections. I mean, you know, the conservative government has been horrifying, you know, talking about refugees that, you know, oh, we can have refugees that are not LGBTQIA+. Why do they need support? It's terrible. They do not know the kind of genocide that goes on. And I would tell him that 
really, if you've ever encountered racism and any kind of oppression and, you know, people talk about, oh, he's Indian, he must have encountered that or his people have, how can you perpetuate it? How can you? It doesn't make any sense. We are all one. We all deserve equal treatment. We all deserve equity, inclusiveness. I don't even have words. I would just ask people to vote him out. He's a bigot and nothing justifies being a bigot. If you are a thinking human being, you would not be a bigot. Absolutely. We can direct that, what you just said too, right back at the gays against groomers. It's the same situation of you know, a group of people experiencing oppression and genocide, and then that same group of people kind of retaliating and projecting it towards another group of marginalized people. And it's kind of Vedic terms, some scars, like cycles of suffering, only continuing to be perpetuated. Absolutely. And here's what, you know, our research has shown that a lot of the people there are just politically planted people who they're not people who actually went through any kind of oppression. It's just a group of people and all these groups, Moms for Liberty, they're just heavily funded. You know, Moms for Liberty talk about parenting and, you know, we've had like school board after school board, we are fighting them. They talk about parenting and, you know, we don't want the government to interfere. We don't want public schools to interfere. We want to look after our kids. And then they come after kids. In the school board, they come after kids. It's horrifying. They out kids, they out teachers, they harm people. And so many of them are not from our district and they're not parents in our district. And they're not even parents. So it's the same thing. Gays against groomers, it's the same thing. They're just heavily funded political parties. And they are actually backing people like that Vivek guy and then all these far right homophobes like the one we have in UK. So politics is horrifying. And that's something that I ask, regardless of anybody's political views. I mean, people have to go into the booth. And this is like another act of Seva is like, you're not only voting for yourself, you are voting for other people in your family, not only your immediate family, but your extended family, which for most families around the globe includes queer and trans people. You know, we have to think about like, who am I voting for? And what does this candidate represent? And do they represent anything that is harmful to myself, my immediate family, or my extended family, or even my global family? You know, for all of us as, as human beings, we're a global family. And how can we vote for people that perpetuate harm against any other human being? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, take Roe v. Wade, for instance. You know, all the marginalized communities have suffered. This is something that we've really regressed back to the dark ages. And I had more rights than my kids do. So, yeah. Yeah, that's very heavy to just feel that. So this question is going to be two parts. What is your number one tip to offer queer and trans youth? And the second part of that is what is your number one tip for parents that might be undergoing this journey that you went through? For LGBTQIA plus kids, I would say you come out when you're ready. Mm. A lot of people say, oh, you know, it's coming out, they come out. You come out when you're ready. You be yourself, you be happy, you find your way of being happy. And, you know, there will be a way, a time a safe place, a safe space. There will be things to do. There are places like GSA clubs that you can come out in. There are friends, but just be safe. That's what I would say. Absolutely. This is through all these years. I would have said something different maybe last year, but this year, this is what I would say. Be safe. A hundred percent. That's perfect tip. And how about for parents? For parents, I would say, you know, just love them for who they are. It may be a journey for you. And, you know, you can do your journey separately. You can see a therapist, an affirming therapist who is affirming to your kid, your family. You can read resources for yourself. But whatever it is, accept your kid for who they are and support them. It's not going to be that easy for them. When they go out there in the world, it's not easy for them. You know, maybe they have everything, but they may just encounter a healthcare professional who's homophobic or they may encounter, you know, some kind of issues at work 
and you know with all the laws that are for them or against them it's still a struggle with the people that they encounter it's still a struggle so you at home just love them for who they are support them just like any other kid when do you call them i mean they always drive you up the wall so <laughs> just be like you would be with anybody else but a little bit of extra care just a little bit of extra love and you know be their biggest advocate absolutely 100% i love that <laughs> what brings you the greatest sense of connection in this world ah for me i'm an extrovert i love meeting people doing things so i think connecting with myself first helps earlier you know the connection was whether it was you know advocacy or whether it was just studying or working it was about other people but when i can go back and you've been talking a lot about this so it grounds me when i can go back to myself even your meditation it grounded me we both had a hectic tough day before <laughs> we came here when we ground ourselves when we connect with ourselves we connect better with everything that is our greatest connection i think i love that absolutely so <laughs> where is mrs anuradha gupta going from here i know you have plans with this dissertation that you're writing for your ayurvedic doctor training oh absolutely i want to take this to the ministry of ayush in india i want to go there and make them pass a directive about practices in india because from india a lot of policies go on to other countries too so let's say the national ayurvedic medical association they try to because india was the birthplace of ayurveda now it's everywhere but i want to correct things there because it's a medical practice there i want to correct things there and then i want to done the article together stevie you and i where we involved nama and all these you know the california association and the texas association what have you right <laughs> so just saying that they are affirming and so i feel that if we can take the research to practices and if we can do more training if you can do more training for different schools if you can tie up maybe with nama right so there's so much to be done to make a healthcare alternative healthcare i know you've done it with yoga therapy now if you do it with ayurveda and naturopathy to make it uh, you know more lgbtq friendly that would be awesome so yes. there's so much scope right for no, <laughs> for us no i will be joining you in this fight i get many messages from queer and trans indians because i do yoga work so i know that that would be a huge 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 moment of progress if we could get ayush which is kind of the governing body of ayurveda and yoga and naturopathy and all of these holistic therapies in ayurveda in india rather if we could get them on board with this that would be international major news yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> so, we have a lot of work to do and I'm so thrilled to be on this journey with you and to be doing this together because it's, you know, as we've already outlined it's super important. So, tell us how people can find you if they want to get in contact with you. So, I have an Instagram handle. It's anu_gupta. When Stevie puts this talk together, that my Instagram handle can be added there, my Facebook and i'm on linkedin and then i have an email which i'll provide to stevie so you can email me and i am there awesome well i am so delighted to have you here anu you're one of the amazing ones i wish we could spend more time together <laughs> both of us are busy trying to become doctors <laughs> and you know we have our own lives and all this lgbt advocacy but i'm so grateful for us to be able to spend this time together and to reconnect and i look forward to maybe having you on again in maybe another 6 months or a year to see how you've progressed and where you're at with your studies and where you're at in this fight for lgbtqia+ equality around the globe and yeah i'm so utterly grateful to have you here my friend oh, and we always so wonderful we always start tearing up at the end of this it's just such a gift that the universe brought us together and that we can share in doing this vital work in the world it really is thank you thank you for having me here and um, thank you for being you thanks <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you. <laughs> hey friends, I'm so delighted that you've made it this far. I sincerely hope that this episode has opened your heart and provided you with valuable insights into the lived experiences of those in gender and sexually expansive communities. There are several ways in which you can support this podcast. Make sure that you're subscribed if you haven't already done so, and be sure to share it with friends and family. Queer Storytime is a professionally produced podcast, which costs about 80 US dollars per episode. If you feel called to do so, I kindly ask that you support future episodes of this podcast by making a one-time or ongoing contribution that is sustainable to you. Links to contact me or to contribute to this podcast are found within the description of this episode. From the bottom of my queer heart to yours, I'm sincerely grateful for you tuning in to Queer Storytime, the podcast. Hugs and love, y'all. Until next time.